Friends are like elevators. They either take you up or they take you down. And that same thing is true. You know, your friends, they either lift you up, they carry you higher, or they pull you down. That's a fact. And, and uh, I had the opportunity to have uh, lunch with a, uh, a gentleman just the other day, and we were talking. And one thing he said is, he said, you know, I recognize the impact that my friends have on my life. And he said, I need to change friends, but it's not easy. I said, the Bible didn't say it would be easy. <laughs> but you got to understand the impact that your friends have on you, right? And the people that you're in community with, the people that you're allowed to speak into your life, they impact us. They affect us. And we can say that they don't. And that don't, don't, don't misunderstand me and don't get in a ditch. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to live in our Christian bubble and never reach out to those who aren't in church. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, as we, those people that we allow into our lives to speak into our life, to have regular influence in our lives, they're either carrying us higher or they're pulling us down. You know, we don't have to like it. We really don't even have to agree with it, but it still doesn't change the fact of the matter. I can remember that There's a saying that was going around, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And the Lord really spoke to my heart, God said it, that settles it. As you believe it, you get to enter into the promise that he said, but him saying it settles it. Right? And what we set our gaze on affects what God's able to do in our lives. You know that I've been uh, meditating on community quite a bit. And the Lord's just continued to give me uh, downloads about community. And uh, I was listening to a speaker the other day, it's to Bill Johnson, and he was talking about a few years ago, the Lord told him he wanted him to read Romans chapter 4. It talks about Abraham and the faith of Abraham there, that God dedicated a whole chapter to, to Abraham and his faith. And what's so cool about that is Abraham was before the law, so he was under grace. Abraham wasn't under the law. The law had not yet been given. So his life, he lived by faith. And so God dealt with him by grace, not by works. Are you with me? That's why he said he's our father, because we're under a a new covenant that's not under works. It's under uh, grace. For by grace are you saved. How? Through faith. Faith grabs hold of what God has provided by grace. We together? I want us to just stay on the same page this morning. So I was going to go to Romans chapter 4, and I opened up my Bible to Romans 4, and the Lord said, why don't you just start in 1? Because I like to, when I study, I like to study in context. I want to hear what's going on before and what's going on after. Uh, you, you may think that I just like to take passages of Scripture and pull out what I want to say, and I've made jokes about that before. About I use different translations. I use the one that, that goes best with what I want to say. Uh, I use the one that clearly communicates what I'm trying to say, but not just picking and choosing. So I like to be in context. I don't ever want to twist the word. There's so much of that going on in the body right now. And especially in fundamentalism, there's a lot of twisting of the word to, to just take out the part that you want and not use the rest of it. You see a lot of that. Uh, I saw it. I was indoctrinated with it in Bible college and 
So I went to Romans chapter 1 and couldn't get past verse 12. Verse 11 and 12, this is Paul writing. And, uh, you know, I, at the same time I've been reading a book by Randy Clark, There's More. And uh, I had just read a chapter in here where he was talking about impartations and how he went through the Old Testament and the New Testament, how there's impartations of, uh, in the body. You know, and if you look at it, under the Old Covenant, when a father was near the end of his life, he would bring in his son, his oldest son, and he would put his hand on him, and he would bless him. He would convey a blessing on that son. And he's saying, the blessing of the Lord on the son. Are you with me? That was an impartation. So I wasn't really studying impartation. I had just read about it. And uh, uh, to be totally transparent, I've never really delved into that subject, I just said, you know, I know there's things about impartations. I hear people talking about all the time about going to this conference and that conference to get impartations. And the, man, he just has me be real transparent up here sometimes. And I've pretty much gotten a little cynical about it. Well, if the Holy Spirit wants me to have it, he can bring it right here. I know y'all never been like that, but you know, because I saw so many people cha- and, and listen. Please hear me out. If you cut me off at any part in this message, if you stop the tape, the MP3, the whatever, you'll take something out of context. But it was because I've seen so many people who just run all over the place, and those are some of the most unstable people I've ever seen in my life. They're always here and there, and they've always got to get something new because what they had. And I'm like, you're new every day, (laughs) right? So what I did, and this is what happens so easy in our lives is, if we see a truth exaggerated, we can get in error. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We can get in error trying to protect ourselves. When we see a manifestation that we don't understand, we can go the other way because we go, I don't want that. And we can shut down what God's wanting to do in our lives. Just because we're afraid of a manifestation, because we're afraid of a, a teaching, we can throw, you know, it's so easy. I, I remember Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen. He started Rama Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rama Church. God used him tremendously. I can remember him saying, we ought to have as much scent as an old mule. In old days, they called him an ass. We ought to have as much sense as an old mule to be able to eat the hay and spit out the sticks. Now, that doesn't mean we read a bunch of New Age junk or anything like that. I'm very careful with what I put in. But I can put in stuff that I may not say, this guy and I, we track 100% theologically. Because what happens is he might have a nugget that I need, and I throw it away because I don't agree 100% with him. And the same thing can happen here. I can say things, and you go, I don't believe it. I just don't agree with that. And you know what? Inside yourself, you have a war for the next 15 minutes, and you miss what God wanted you to hear. Amen. Amen. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. But we can get in error because of, and I, I allowed that to happen as far as impartation. So I started reading this book, and the Lord just ministering to my heart and uh, just showing me so much, not that, I'm chasing after anything, just him. Yeah, I've said this the other way. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. And I refuse to put in a box what that looks like. Because you know what? How Jesus reveals himself to Josh and how he reveals himself to me may be totally different. 
how it's the same thing in life. We all encounter different circumstances in life, and how Stephen responds may be different than how I respond. It doesn't mean that Stephen's right and I'm wrong or vice versa. Are you with me? The same thing is true when God begins to manifest. I've said forever since we've been here as the river, five and a half years, that I'm not after a manifestation, but I'm not afraid of them. I believe when God shows up, it shows out. And what that looks like, for some it can be quiet, for some it can be shout, some it can be a laugh. You know, it was funny, Josh sent me something this week about laughter, and this guy, he talked like, here's my head, he talked like over there. I'm, if I really want, I got, the, I got what I needed out of it, but I'd have had to sit down with a dictionary to understand what he was really trying to say. Because some of the words, I, I didn't even know that'd be a word like that. I'd read in front of it and behind of it and say, I think this is what he's trying to say. Sounds good to me. That's what I'm choosing. You know what I'm talking about? That's what I did. But in there, he talked about, I mean, this was a guy, I don't know, from what I read, he doesn't know the Lord. Uh, he was, not because he was intelligent. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the, that's what the world would say sometimes. But just the, the jargon, the language that he used, it was a scholarly level writing, but he was talking about laughter, and he talked about how, and I don't remember the statistics or anything like that, but he talked about years ago when laughter broke out. Where was it? What country was it in? Was it China, Japan, Indonesia, or something like that? Literally, they called it an epidemic because it was a teenage girl. She started laughing, and it spread. They shut down, it affected a 1,000 students, shut down like 14 schools. Because they were laughing, and they studied, and they said it wasn't psychological, it wasn't anything like that, that it was, it was just contagious. Hold on, hold on. I'm not trying to make everybody laugh before people get nervous. That's not what I'm after. But this whole article talked about how laughter is not just a psychological thing. It's a, it's a relational thing. It's everything. But in it, he talked about how people got nervous. I mean, I remember Toronto, the Toronto blessing when that happened that laughter was a big thing that came. And, you know, for, forever in church, it's been okay to cry, but not to laugh. Because crying's reverent, laughter's irreverent. Man, that's just not scriptural. I'm not going after laughter today. All right, hear me. I told you, if you stop this tape at any point, you'll miss what I'm trying to say. But in this thing, it was dealing with laughter, and it talked about how much it affects. You know, the Word of God says that a merry heart does good like a medicine. But it said it goes all the way back. We want to think that this laughter thing, that these unusual manifestations are just to this new, crazy, charismatic generation. That's the biggest lie of the enemy. You study church history. You study uh, the Quakers. Some of them said they got their name, the Quakers, because when the presence of God would come in the the room, they would just shake, uncontrollably shake under the presence of God. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, one of the things that he would be struck by the presence of the Lord, and he would just shake in the presence of the Lord. He said that he would laugh uncontrollably in the presence of the Lord. You don't hear that because fundamentalism says we don't understand that, so we're getting as far away from it as we can, and we're getting in a ditch. But impartation, what it means is God has gifts. Y'all believe God has gifts? You believe God wants to give them to us? Or is he just stingy up in heaven trying to hold them all for himself? That's what we think. That's what many people think. Well, God's got you, but when we get to heaven, what a day it'll be. 
when my Jesus, I shall see. When I look upon his face, but when I save me by his grace. <laughs> he takes me by the hand. He leads me through. Everything's for heaven. Everything is for heaven. Anything that starts manifesting here that we can't put between these ears, we go, whoosh. <laughs> Them crazy people again. He said, if you know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more? How much more does your heavenly father desire to give you gifts? Impartations, gifts. So, Romans chapter 1. I'm reading, minding my own business, mind you. I'm just trying to get to chapter 4. I am not reading about impartations. I don't know if Randy Clark mentioned this passage of Scripture or not. If I go back and read, probably he did. I don't know. Do you, are you tracking with me? I was not studying impartations. I was reading the Bible. I wasn't reading it for today, to preach today. I was reading it because I, every intention, I was going to read Romans chapter 4, and I was going to meditate on Romans chapter 4 for me. I didn't even think about you guys. <laughs> I think about you often, but this time I wasn't. Okay? I still love you, though. Verse 11. This is Paul writing. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established that is, I, that is, verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. So what's Paul saying? He said, I long to be with you, to see you. Why? To impart. And I want to give you the definition of some of these words from the Greek. The word impart there, it means... Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I was going to try to pronounce it in the Greek. It's long. M-E-T-A-D-I-D-O-M-I. Yeah. <laughs> I got to do it now. Metadidomy. Metadidomy. That might be butchered. It's okay. I don't profess to be a Greek scholar. Here's what it means. To give over or to share. To give over or to share. He says, I, I desire to be with you to share a gift with you. Why? A spiritual gift. Listen, this is so cool. The word spiritual here. <laughs> I could easily get caught up on trying to pronounce these words, but I'm not. It's New Testament 4152 in Strong's if you want to look it up. But uh, it's, here's what it means. Spiritual, it means the number one meaning is non Carnal. Non-carnal. What did, what did uh, Paul many times rebuke them for because they were what? Carnally minded. Carnal means of this world, of the five senses. He say, so what he's saying here is, I want to give you a gift. Listen, listen. I want to give you a gift that doesn't involve your five senses. It's not tied to your five senses. It will involve them, but it's not tied to your five senses. You tracking? Stay with me. So he's saying, I desire to be with you, 
to share with you something that goes beyond your natural senses. Throw a flag on the plate. A lot of churches would shut the door right there and say, oh, no, no, no. Want nothing to do with any of that. See you next week. God bless you. Come back with something that doesn't scare me. Doesn't freak me out. It's non-carnal. You know, I woke up. How many of you know the Lord will give you a word sometime? Just a word. I mean a word, not like a sentence. I'm talking about one word. And you wake up and you go, what in the world? This word came to me one time, ethereal, ethereal. And it means of the heavens. It means uh, from the heavenlies, if I'm not mistaken. Because I woke up one morning and that word was in my mind, ethereal, ethereal. What the world? Am I speaking in tongues? I mean, literally, I wake up, open my eyes, and that word's running over and over and over in my head. So I look at it, and it means otherworldly, basically, if I'm not mistaken. You can look it up and come out and correct me later, and I'm okay with that. Because it, it was a year or so ago that I woke up. But it, it's not tied to, the, to the, my senses. You with me? It's not carnal. And, uh, and that's not my interpretation. That's the first in Strong's uh, concordance, the first word. It says spiritual, non-carnal. A spirit, supernatural is one of the meanings. So here he is. He says, I long to be with you that I might share with you a non-carnal, supernatural gift. And the word gift there means a divine gratuity. You know, you go to the, it's a tip. It's a, it's a gift, right? You go to the restaurant. If you've got more than eight people, they tell you what your gratuity is. They tell you what you're going to gift the waiter with. No, no, I take that wrong. They don't tell you. They take it. So to me, it's not a gift anymore. You know what I mean? No, we've just taken my joy out of giving it. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Some of you need to laugh. You said it wasn't about laughter. A gift, a gratuity, it means this, deliverance from danger. It means an endowment. It means a miraculous faculty. This is from the Greek, from Strong's uh, Numbers in Concordance with Expanded Greek Hebrew Dictionary. So, Paul writing, saying, listen, here's what began to, we've heard about impartations, right, Whatever, wherever we stand on it, but here's what really began to just mess me up. He said, I, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. So that word established means firmly rooted, immovable. He said, I want you to operate in the gifts. Why? So that you can flop around on the ground like a fish, so that you can speak in a crazy tongue, so that you can laugh and other people can look at you, so you can shake, rattle, and roll, so that you can do it. No. Why? So that you can be established. Why? When the world would he say that? Because when you have an encounter with the living God and you know how it affects you, contrary to what your natural nature is, I, I'm, are you with me? You go, man, I wouldn't have picked that. <laughs> just wouldn't have picked that. You know, that's not who I am. I mean, I'm just going to pick on Stephen just a little bit because he's okay with it. Not because I got permission, but because I am. I've watched Stephen as he's gotten in just a pursuit of Jesus. 
Not a shake, not a rally. And I've watched him try to crawl through that wall. He had carpet burns on his elbows. I watched him on the stage when we were at a conference do the same thing. And then just a few weeks ago back, he was right here, and he looked like he was hooked to 210, 220. He was just shaking. Right? If you know Stephen, that's not how he walks around. You see, how, you see, how you doing? Living a dream, baby boy. Living a dream. Right? Is that true? Is that a true statement? Living a dream, baby boy. No, man, I ain't going to get excited. Ain't nothing to get excited about. He just, right? But when he came into encounter, he, he shook and he grabbed uh, Cam. And Cam shook. I don't know if it's because Stephen, because what was coming out of Stephen, just because Stephen was doing this when he grabbed him. Right? If you saw it. If you didn't, it's okay. And then Cam just began to weep. He just began to weep in the presence of the Lord. And I go, man, so he said, I desire to give you a gift. Now, if you're not Stephen, that might not look like a gift to you. (laughs) Y'all didn't hear me. If you aren't Stephen, and if you're offended in your mind, then what's going on with Stephen can be offensive to us because we don't understand what God's doing. I, it's, there's no devil in hell big enough to stop a move of God, but there are minds. There is reason and intellect that says, I don't understand it, therefore I'll shut it down. And you, know, you may not stop a total move of God, but you'll stop a move of God in you. At any place, that we take an offense over a truth we don't understand. Did you hear what I said? Not a teaching, a truth. We shut down the power of that truth in our lives. That's heavy. <laughs> but it's true. I've seen it in my life. I've taught stuff, not hypocritically. I've taught stuff that I know was truth, but I was offended at it in my mind. Because I hadn't seen the manifestation of it in my life. So I allowed my mind to be offended over what I didn't see. But yet I couldn't not teach it because it's truth. See, I've said this many times before. I'm anointed to give it, but I have to live it like everybody else. God will anoint me and he'll come on me. And I'm, if you don't believe it, I don't, I don't even hardly... Name my messages anymore because I have no idea. I know the last month's been on community. But Mel, she said, what's this week's message? I said, well, I was going to go this way, and it ended up going this way. It's not because I'm, I'm not prepared and I'm just randomly speaking off the top of my head. It's because I'm saying, God, what do you have for us today in what I've studied? What is, what's the rhema word that you have? And I mean, I use my notes, but I'll go back and I'll tell her, I'll say, how's this sound? She said, yeah, that goes with it. See, she gets to hear it twice because she edits, gets to, depending, depending, maybe has to, (laughs) however you want to word it. But she edits it for uh, the podcast. But we can allow our minds, and I... And you study church history, and that's what happened. It's not. Listen, we, our God is too little, and our devil's too big. Because we, I've said this, Bill John, I coined this to Bill Johnson, because that's who I remember saying it, is that 
we need to believe that God's big enough to lead us more than the devil is to deceive us. But the problem with that is, is we've got to know his voice. We've got to spend time with him in his word, not just in warm, fuzzy meetings, but in his word where we know his word and we know how his voice sounds to us because we can be operating in a gift and we can still be deceived. It was funny. I read to Tina last night in that book. I, I went back into reading the book by Randy Clark. And one of the things he said in there, and he said when receiving, he said, I tell people in many of my meetings, he said, I don't want you to give me a courtesy drop because that's the flesh. He said, but nor do I want you to stand up if you feel like the Lord is, is laying you down because that's also the flesh. He said, so you just be sensitive to the Lord and don't be in the flesh. And I thought that's so good. It's so good. And he, he, he talked in there about, he said he's been in meetings before where there was 200 pastors up there being prayed for. And he said it was him and, and one other standing up. All 198 were on the floor. And he was standing there and he was like, God, Really? <laughs> why me standing here and everybody else is laying down and it's not about the laying down it's about receiving but see if our mind is 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 offended then we can't we've shut off receiving and we can get mad at god we can get mad at others but it's it's us See, listen, here's what he said that was so good. In verse 12, he said, I want to pray for you to impart a gift to you so that you can be established and we can be encouraged. Ha. And as I said that, man, it just awakened on the inside of me what I've been saying for the past two to three months about the importance of the body and community is that not that you come to get, but that you bring something when you come. That you bring something. He said here, I want to lay hands on you and share what's in me. I want to impart it to you because as I do, as you walk in what God's put in you, and I walk in what's God, he said, I'm encouraged. He said that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he said, when you're established in the gift, or giftings, not just a gift, in the giftings, when you're established in that, then both of us, our faith is working together. It's not just me pulling and everybody else going, are you back there? Yeah, we're here. You back there? Yeah, we're here. I know you're back there because I'm dragging you. It's not that. It's that we're both, your faith feeds me, my faith feeds you. Why? Because we're functioning as a body where every joint supplies. Everybody's doing their part. But it begins with this gift that he says he wants to give. He wants it to establish and to strengthen us. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31 says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, then prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, variety of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gift. You know what the best gift is? The one that's needed right then. 
It's not that you prophesy or, or that it's healing. He said, no, all of you don't have these gifts operating in you all the time, but the best gift is the one you need right then. If you're ministering to someone who has just lost hope in life, you don't need it. it it's, uh, that wasn't the best illustration, but I'm going to roll with it because I started Healing isn't necessarily the gift. It may be a word of encouragement, a prophetic word where the Lord says, hey, I see you, and I saw you yesterday. You know, he told, uh, what's his name's brother, Nathaniel? He said, I saw you sitting by the tree. And he said, you are the son of God. He said, because I told you I saw you sitting beside a tree, now I'm the son of God? <laughs> really? <laughs> but you know what? That was what he needed, and that spoke to him right where he was. And he said, this is the son of God. So the gift, the best gift, is the one that's needed right then. Then he goes on to say, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. What's this more excellent way that he showed them? Love. Because he goes on to say, I don't care if you got all the gifts in the world. If you're not operating in love, you're just making a lot of noise. Did he say that you couldn't operate in the gifts? No, he didn't. That's another thing that throws the mind. Is that we look at a gift that somebody's operating in, and we think, well, that's God's seal of approval on their lifestyle. Yeah, don't shout me down. And we say, well, if that's God, then I don't want anything to do with it. Well, then what you did is you just went over into carnal mindedness because you're looking at that individual who has a gift from God. And Romans says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So that means he gives them and goes, oh, man, they messed up. I've got to take that back. His, his heart is that we walk in love. I woke up yesterday morning, and uh, how many of you have ever been asleep and the Lord awaken you? And, man, it's so profound. You're just like, oh, wow, there's no way I can forget that. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going, right? You go to sleep, you wake back up, and you go, Dang. What was that? I repent, Lord Jesus, please. That was, well, this happened two or three times from Friday night. I don't know what time Friday night till Saturday morning when I woke up at 7.30 when I finally woke up and told my wife, said, hey, we need to get up. But I was, I was sleeping. I was there, and the Lord just, I mean, it awakened me. What he spoke to me was so real that it awakened me, and I was like, oh, man. And I, re I rehearsed. You know what we do, right? And I sleep with my iPad right by my bed. So when the Lord does that, I can write it down, right? You know what I did? I went back to sleep. <laughs> I, no, I laid there and I meditated on it. Lord, this is a good word. I'm going to meditate on this. And I won't lose this one. He's so gracious. I went to sleep. I woke back up in that same word. I mean, there was just an urgency on the inside of me. And I was like, oh, man, that's good. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm just going to lay here and meditate. I have no idea what time it was. I'm just going to meditate on it. fell asleep. When I woke up the third time, it was a little after 7, with that same word. And I said, God, I'm going to write it down because I don't want to wake up with regret. Because I believe God speaks to us in our dreams because our mind's disengaged. We're not trying to reason and figure it out. We're just, depends on where you are. Some of us are in a happy place. Some of us aren't. But God can speak to it. And let me clarify this. Thank you, Jesus. I'm trying to clean the ditches today. It doesn't mean every dream's from God. 
Okay. Thank you. I need, felt like I needed to say that. I didn't say every dream is from God, but he does use dreams to speak. <laughs> so, come on together. <laughs> yeah, I was just reminded <laughs> of a friend of mine. He talked to us when we got up in church. He gave us, thus saith the Lord, you know, old time Pentecostal. Thus saith the Lord, I'll be with you just like I was with uh, Noah when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. (laughs) Then they sat down and they got back up. Thus says the Lord, he made a mistake. It was Moses. It wasn't Noah. (laughs) Not I made a mistake. He made a mistake. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> That's good. Jesus. <laughs> I am one. I'm a charismatic, and I make mistakes. So uh, if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at, right? Because <laughs> this is serious, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> He woke me up, and it was, uh, it was kind of a two-part thing. But the first is this. He said, uh, God, Todd, my desire for the body is that they be one on the earth. That's John 17, 22. The Amplified say, says this. John 7, well, let me, um, John 13, 35, I should read first. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. If you keep on showing love among yourselves. That's the amplified version. He said this. He said, I want my body to be one on the earth. John 17, I told you this earlier about glory. He said, I have given to them the glory and honor which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Remember in worship when Mel encouraged us, don't miss him. And I said, we set our gaze, 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 17. We set our gaze on him. As we set our gaze on him, we're changed into his image from glory to glory, right? 3, 16, 17, from glory to glory. He said here, the glory that you gave me, I've given them that they may be one, even as we are one. He said, this, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one for another, if you keep on showing love among yourselves. He said, My heart is that they be one on the earth. And then he said this. This is what woke me up. What are you willing to lay aside to pursue my heart? What are you willing to lay aside? If I said I died for a family, not a gathering. I died for a family of people who are frail humans who make mistakes, who sometimes hurt you. But if that's what I died for, what are you willing to lay aside? It was a little harder when I first said it. It was really this, what are you willing to pay to have it? So you know, the the reality is, it's not anything I have to pay. Jesus paid it all. All I have to do is receive. But I have to be willing to lay some of my conveniences aside to really minister to others. Are you with me? 
What are we willing to lay aside in order to pursue his heart? Um, that was what he really spoke to my heart that just woke me up. Todd, what are you laying aside? What are you willing to lay aside to pursue my heart of authentic community with people around you? To not just go to church with them, but to be there with them when they need you. To minister life. See, as we, I believe that as we walk in this authentic community, when we really love like he loves, and we love one another that way, that a lost and dying world will be hungry for what they see. That doesn't mean that it takes the place of evangelism, but I believe it is evangelism. By the body, each part bringing its part. That we, as we receive the gifts that he has for us, we function, we're established in those gifts, and we function with one another, sharing with one another. And as we are, everyone's faith grows. Right? <clears throat> and I, here's the other thing. It was, it was so cool. I talked to my buddy, Mark Tweeney in Myrtle Beach. And uh, so thankful for him. He's definitely iron to me. And, and we were talking. I told him we had just started our small groups and stuff like that. And, he, and I told him what I'd been sharing about community, and he said, man, that's just powerful. He said, you know what? He said, this is going to sound kind of like an oxymoron. And he said, we even lost some people over. He said, but I shut our small groups down for community. He said, because what happens if Christ isn't the center, then all it becomes is a click. And we get together for the sake of getting together. And you know what? We become this this separate organism that only cares about us. And if you're inside of us, we're going to love you and we're going to share our gifts with you. But you're not one of us, so it's easy just to not deal with you. This isn't, he didn't say all of that. He just said we shut them down because they became cliquish in the Lord. I said, Lord, what doesn't make sense? You're telling me how important groups are. And he said, yes, but if Christ isn't the center of your group, no matter what the group is, if it's this group, we call Sunday morning gathering. If it's the youth group, if it's the children's ministry, if Jesus isn't the center where we're saying, I want to know him and I want to make him known in every area of our life, we get humanistic and it becomes about us. So even this thing that can be used as a tool to create community can be, can be used as a tool to separate from community. That's not good. That's why so many pastors are scared of small groups because what happens is the small groups get growing. There's a good group of people, and this group of people, they become a church to themselves, which has good attributes. They care for one another. But then this, they become independent of everybody doing their own thing, and if it's not good for us, then we just leave. You still with me? Because this is our group now. And we're doing our thing now. But if Jesus is in the center, you can be just as committed and you can be just as protective over your group. But you realize it's not about your group. It's about him. And we won't do anything to pull people away from Jesus. We want to point them to Jesus. Not if we think we're right and they're wrong. We'll cover them in love because love covers a multitude of sins. You with me? 
we will cover them in love. That's what the Bible says that love does. It says it covers a multitude of sins. So if I'm walking in authentic community, my heart and my desire is not to expose, it's to cover. Not to excuse. Listen, don't stop the tape. Not to excuse, but to cover. How do I cover it? By sharing the love of God, saying, look, this isn't who you are. You shouldn't continue this way. That's real community. It doesn't just say, well, you're one of us, all good now. That's what we've seen in churches. I'm not even going to go there. He said, as we live, this is the next thing the Lord really spoke to my heart. He said, as you live in koinonia with me and with others, you won't have to say, well, I'm just not evangelistic. Because when your heart burns with his heart, you can't but help share. Because you're not looking at you. You're looking at him. Your group's not about your group getting bigger and better and stronger and getting the warm fuzzies and even flopping like a fish and having these great impartations of the Holy Spirit. All those are good and we want those. I believe that's the safe place for you to grow in your gifts is in a small group. Amen. It's a safe place to do it. But when he is the sinner, if his heart, he said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. If that's his heart, it can't help but start manifesting in your heart and in the heart of your group. I've studied all different types of models of small groups, and they have some that are, that are uh, uh, topical small groups, and they have some that are uh, evangelistic small groups, and they have some that are uh, uh, hobby, I don't even know what that's called. Hobby-centered. We all fish, so we, we hang out and we do a small group together. It, hunting, you know, we all shoot things, so we hang out together. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with those. But if Christ isn't the center, then it's just about our next thing that we get to do together. It doesn't matter if everybody outside of our group goes to hell, as long as we get to do our thing. But when Christ stays the center of our group, we are always looking for those that he's looking for. And we're always treating them the way he treated them. Amen. That's authentic love. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. And again, I'll give you that definition. It means partnership, participation, social intercourse, benefaction, where it's not just one way, both. It means community and communion. It means joint participation. First <clears throat> John 1, verses 3 says this, That which we have seen have we, and heard and declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. That your what? There's that happy thing again. That your joy may be full. How's your joy full? When you're walking in fellowship with one another. When you're walking in communion, joint participation. And that means that it costs you something. Not to get it, but to give it. Did you hear me? He said, you walk in fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 7, 
walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with each other. Nope. I mean, it's not the whole verse. Let me back up. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we walk in fellowship together, koinonia together, we recognize that it's the blood of Jesus. It's what he paid for, not our great sacrifice to the group, but what Jesus paid for that washes our sin, that cleanses us, that we can come together in power and authority and minister one to another. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 and 31. What is our conclusion, brothers? This is from the complete Jewish Bible. What is our conclusion, brothers? He's just been talking about the gifts. Whenever you come together, let everyone be ready with a psalm or a teaching or a revelation or ready to use his gift of tongues or give an interpretation, but let everything be for edification. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one with the result that all will learn something and all will be encouraged. He said, you can all prophesy. You can all give a word of encouragement, of affirmation. Everyone, if you're born again, you have the ability to do that. But he says, when you come together, let everyone be what? Ready. I like that. When you come together, when we gather here, it shouldn't be, I'm gathering to sit down and listen to some worship. I'm gathering to sit down and listen to some teaching so that I can be better when I leave. No, we should come together ready. You know, when I hunt, I don't go hunt to fellowship with nature. Many times there's a lot more fellowshipping than hunting. Well, I should say shooting. I had a friend said they call it hunting for a reason. They don't call it getting. They call it hunting because you don't always get something when you go, but you always hunt. You're always looking. So it, why did I say all that? When I go into the woods, can I spend time with the Lord? Yes. Do I spend time with the Lord? Absolutely. Depending on how the hunt is, sometimes I spend a lot of time with the Lord. <laughs> but my intention in going into the woods, judge me if you will, is not to just go spend time with the Lord. I'm going for something and hoping that something has horns on its head. <laughs> just being straight. Just totally being honest that I go with the intention ready. I don't sit up in the tree with my bullets in my backpack and my gun hanging on the limb. I can't say that I was always that smart. When I first started hunting, I wouldn't have my bullets in my backpack, but I'd have my gun hanging on. I'd be waiting for the deer. And then they'd come in. I'd go, well, dang, i got to get my gun. That's not good. Okay, if you're just starting hunting, don't do that. Not good. So when I'm in the stand, here I am. I'm in the stand. I got my shooting rail right here in front of me. I got my hand on the trigger, I got my thumb on the safety, and I'm sitting like this. I'm not sitting like this. I don't have my gun laying this way. Done that before. Not a good idea. Deer have very keen senses to smell and to sound. And you go to shuffling, they go to running. 
So I sit, and I've got my hand on the gun. If I get sleepy, you know what I do? I lay my head on the scope like this. <laughs> I lay my head like this on the scope. So if I awaken, I do this. I used to do this. That's no good. If I'm awakened, I open my eyes, and it's very easy. <laughs> At this position, I can still pull the gun forward, click the safety, and bam! I just, you have to get that off too, Mel. <laughs> I pull the trigger. Because I'm not there just to hang out with the trees and the squirrels. And, and you see a lot of squirrels. That's not why I'm there. With me? I'm there hunting. I'm looking for something. But yet, we come to church, and we say, well, maybe the Lord will come by. Or maybe the preacher will say something that I need. Let's back up a little bit further. In hunting, I prepare. I prepare, I wash my clothes. I won't forget, Stephen started hunting. Well, <laughs> Stephen started hunting, and he would come straight out of frying some bacon and everything like that in his coverall, in his hunting clothes, and wash them in Tide detergent and climb up in a tree. He couldn't understand why he didn't see anything. I said, Stephen, we start with washing our bodies and our clothes with stuff that takes the scent away. Smells like, I got dryer sheets that smell like dirt. I'm serious. Tina hates it when I wash my hunting clothes because it smells like dirt. It does, doesn't it? Dirt and tree bark. So it smells like. So I'm in the tree, I'm a dirty tree. <laughs> but even before I wash my clothes, we go out and, and we find a spot where the deer have been, come on, where the deer have been crossing. We see the trails in the woods. We track them. We see... They leave stuff behind. You know where they've been. If it's a buck, you can see where he's been rubbing the trees. He'll create a rub line. He'll create a scrape line. All these things. We see how they're moving. We go, oh, I believe he'll come by here. So we make preparation. We'll put food out. Yeah. See, I sound like church. We'll put food <laughs> Just to get people to come. Maybe Jesus will show up, but really, we're trying to get people. If you feed them, they will come. We put food out, eight, nine, ten dollars a bag. And you know what? Not just what we're going for eats our food. Praying for Ben. <laughs> Jesus. He's got some raccoons that can't hardly walk, they waddle. They bounce from side to side. He got 500 pounds of corn just steadily feeding him. <laughs> and the raccoon says, you know, I don't know that man, but I love him. <laughs> he wouldn't kill me, I'd kiss him. Acorns, who cares about an acorn? I got a bucket running down. Manna from heaven. <laughs> Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. 
Everything has breath, praise the Lord. <laughs> but we make preparation. We, many times, we buy guns that aren't cheap. Bullets that aren't cheap. And we make preparation, and we take pictures. We put up cameras on our trees so we can see what's going on when we're not there. You know what? A lot more goes on when you're not there. (laughs) We will go to the woods when everybody else is sleeping. And we will sit there for an hour before the sun wakes up. Sometimes shivering and cold. I'll I'll have hand warmers in my socks, in my pockets on the side of my camo pants, in my pockets. And have an extra pair in my bag. If I get real cold, I'll crack them puppies open. And I'll just hold them. And I got them on my legs, keeping my legs warm. And my shoes, keeping my feet warm. I'm, and I'm sitting there like this. He's coming. I just feel it. He's coming. <clears throat> and you go, oh, that's just carnal. It is. It's of the natural senses. But many pay a high, high price for the one. But yet we come together. For the one, the only one worthy. And we come in without being prepared. We come in without expecting anything and just say, Well, he loves me, he'll show up. He, He shows up for those who are looking. And that's how you can be in a room and someone right beside you can just get wrecked in the presence of the Lord. And it can make you so uncomfortable because they're getting wrecked in the presence of the Lord. And you can sit there and go, Jesus, will he ever shut up? Will these people ever quit freaking me out? And you know, here's what happens. Listen, if we don't have community, if we don't know his voice and we don't know those that we're around, it's so easy, in Stephen's words, to throw up deuces and say, you know what? I don't understand all that, so I'm out. And not leave a church, but leave what God's trying to do in you. It's not about a building. It's about what he's trying to do in you. This is the other thing the Lord said as I woke up yesterday. And I said it, I just found it the way he said it to me. He said, what are you willing to invest? How much of yourself are you willing to spend to have authentic community? How much are you willing to invest of yourself when you come in, when you go to a small group, whatever? How much are you willing to invest to have authentic koinonia fellowship. James 5, 16, just amplified. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available Dynamic in its working. Confess to one of their, therefore, your faults, your slips, false steps, offenses, sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working. <clears throat> 